I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Which free agents will the Bucks be able to keep? And which members of the current Bucks team may be elected one day to the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Who had a bigger impact as a rookie, Tristan Wirfs or Antoine Winfield Jr.? In what position is the greatest need in the draft for the Bucks. We've got your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, Bucks fans, don't miss out on a chance to relive the incredible season with a hardcover collector's book. It's full of compelling stories and action-packed photos from my colleagues and I at the Tampa Bay Times. This 160-page book puts you inside the huddle. It's the perfect way to commemorate an unbelievable season. Now just go to bucksbook.com to order. There's some urgency here, folks, because there's a special that's ending tomorrow. It's regularly $39.95. But until tomorrow, until February 17th when the offer expires, you can save $10 when you pre-order. Go to bucksbook.com. This segment of Sports Day Tampa Bay is brought to you by Moffitt Cancer Center. Moffitt is the proud partner of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Call one 1-8- M-O-F-F-I-T-T. Before we get started with today's mailbag, we have some sad news. And in full candor, we recorded the mailbag early on Monday afternoon before this news broke. But former Buccaneer wide receiver Vincent Jackson was found dead at a hotel in Brandon on Monday morning by a housekeeper there. He had been living in that hotel since January when he moved out from his family uh, we don't know the details, and the the sheriff's office will be doing an autopsy and, and doing an investigation to determine what the cause of death was. That may take a few days, but uh, former Buccaneer Vincent Jackson, dead at the age of 38, his impact felt well beyond the football field where he was a top-notch player and, and one of the best wide receivers in the game. Uh, but he was even bigger off the field. If you read the comments from just about everyone who knew him, including uh, Bucks co-chairman Brian Glazer, saying during his five seasons with the franchise, Vincent was a consummate professional who took a great deal of pride in his performance on and off the football field. Vincent was a dedicated father, husband, businessman, and philanthropist who made a deep impact on our community through his unyielding advocacy for military families, supported by the Jackson in Action 83 Foundation. Uh, Rick will have a lot more of this on tomorrow's podcast um, as we will continue to learn more. And, of course, all Buccaneer fans and Tampa Bay fans are in mourning. Uh, Vincent Jackson, you saw countless community activities. I believe he was a Lightning community hero. I know he's done stuff with them. Did a ton of stuff at MacDill Air Force Base. Uh, of course, he grew up in a military family and was a huge supporter of the military. Uh, was a three-time pro bowler. He signed a five-year, $55 million contract with the Bucks in 2012 as a free agent from the Chargers. In his career, 540 career receptions, 9,080 yards, and 57 touchdowns. So, uh, Former Bucks defensive tackle Gerald McCoy saying, it pains me to see this happen to such a great person at such a young age, a person who was more than a football player. He was a great husband and father who spent his life trying to help other people, spreading love and joy and doing everything in his power to make the next man smile. Somebody I considered to be more than a teammate. He was truly a friend and one of my mentors in my young age of the NFL. Rick, again, will have more on Vincent Jackson's death on tomorrow's podcast. So without further ado, though, here is our mailbag. And Vincent Jackson, rest in peace. Well, it's been a while since we've done a mailbag with all that's gone on with the, uh, the Super Bowl, obviously, and we'll be getting into baseball here pretty soon with spring training. Um, clearly, the lightning are underway, so a lot of things happening. But any of the questions about the Buccaneers and uh, you know their their Super Bowl uh, championship, what's going to happen with free agency? So let's jump right into the questions. All right. Well, Ellis asked a good question, and several of our uh, followers also responded. It was a good question. So he asked, who has the b- bigger rookie impact this past season, Tristan Wirfs or Antoine Winfield Jr.? He'd also like to add that it's insane that neither one of them won, won the rookie of the year. 
Yeah, that's tough. Uh, you know, that went to Justin Herbert with the Chargers, and I think quarterbacks, because it's a stat-driven uh, position and, and one, obviously, that's the highest valued in the NFL, you're going to get that a lot with rookies and rookies of the year. Um, I would agree with you. I, I would put either of those guys up against uh, against Justin Herbert. But, again, the position of value is, is so strong um, that I understand that selection. Let me say this about those two guys. First and foremost, you know, credit Jason Light uh, for, for moving where he did. And, and it's unbelievable. You know, there were like four really quality offensive linemen in the draft. It just so happened that the one they had high, rated the highest was Tristan Wirfs, and he went last of that group, and the Bucks moved up. They, You know, I talked to John Lynch with the 49ers, who also had a very a big interest in Wirfs. Uh, they wound up being able to, to uh, you know, to trade and, and, and get that uh, offensive tackle that they absolutely needed because uh, DeMar Dotson had moved on, and, and they knew they had Donovan Smith at left tackle. But it was a tremendous pickup. I mean, for a guy to come in here – with remember now, there was no off season, no training camp, no preseason games to speak of. I mean, they had training camp, but it was abbreviated. Um, and he gives up one sack all season. I think it was to Alex Mack in that game against the Bears. I mean, he played every single offensive snap uh, during the season and dominated. He wasn't just you know like he held up as a rookie. This guy dominated some of the best pass rushers in the NFC. Uh, in the NFL, for that matter, and he was just remarkable. I have said to Jason White, and I will say to anybody, and there's not many guys that come into the league and, and look and sort of have the athleticism he has. I mean, this guy was a wrestler in high school. You can see he played baseball growing up. He was a great athlete, uh, did everything, really. Um, he, re- he he has the athletic ability and the demeanor to to play a long time if there's no injuries with this guy or severe injuries that derail his his career I said to Jason I think you just drafted your first gold jacket guy Um, maybe your second if you count Mike Evans who who we'll talk about later but Tristan Wirfs looks like Anthony Munoz to me I mean he has that sort of just natural feat and ability and strength he has the entire package Uh, it's hard to find guys that size that are that athletic you know, uh, Munoz could have played shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds. He was such a great athlete. And I I think that you're looking at the same sort of – and that, that's ridiculous talk, right, for me after a guy in one year. But I'm telling you, I know what I see. And what I see is just a player that, if he stays healthy, um, could not only play right tackle, he probably could play left tackle for the rest of his career. He may have to at one point. So I love Tristan Wirfs. You know, clearly – Antoine Winfield Jr. is a special talent. I mean, you know, we know about his dad, you know, played in the league. He's not much older than Tom Brady, to be honest with you. Played against Brady, intercepted Brady. His dad played like 14 seasons, um, you know, with the Bills and Vikings. But this kid is five years beyond, you know, his age and the way he handles himself, the way he plays, the way he studies tape. Him and his dad go over a lot of situations every night. And one of the greatest moments, I think, of the Super Bowl that they have on NFL Films is when his dad comes onto the field. And, you know, this is a guy that never got to go to a Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl, and him and his son embrace. I mean, his rookie year, here's his son who has just an all-rookie year, really probably should have had an all-pro year. Um, and, you know, they they got the confetti falling on them, and they, they've won the Super Bowl in his first season in Tampa. It's It's storybook. It gives you chills when you see it. Um, but the guy, well, I, I can't remember him really ever being out of position. I mean, you could say maybe the Kansas City game, the first time they played them back in November, you know, uh, they had some single high coverage and Mahomes looked them off. And that's when uh, Carlton Davis got beat a couple times, you know, by uh, by Hill. But I don't know that it was all Tristan Wirth's fault. I'm not sure the scheme was very good. But for the most part, he was a sure tackler made plays on the ball, had interceptions, had one coming back for the ball in the Super Bowl, no less. And I would say this, the single biggest defensive player of the year, in my mind, was when the Bucks were trailing the New Orleans Saints by a touchdown, and the Saints had just completed a pass to Jared Cook and were across midfield going into Bucks territory, and Tristan Wirth stripped the ball from Cook Devin White recovered, you ran it back. Jr. 
stripped it. Uh, Winfield Jr., yeah. What did I say? Tristan Wirth. That would be <laughs> oh, impressive. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that would have been impressive. <laughs> Antoine Winfield Jr., I got his name in front of me. Antoine Winfield Jr. strips the ball from, and he probably could have. You know, the other guy is so athletic. Uh, he strips the ball from Jared Cook, and then Devin White recovers and runs it back. You know, that could have been a 14-point game, right? The Saints could have gone up by, by two touchdowns. And I think, I think the whole complexion of the game changed on that play. And the Bucks went in and punched it in. So to me, that was the, the play of, of the defensive play of the year for what it meant getting over the hump, you know, with the, uh, with the New Orleans Saints and then being able to go up to Green Bay. And he didn't play against the Packers because he, uh, you know, he had hurt his ankle and was fortunate to get back in time to play in the Super Bowl, had a great Super Bowl, the interception, all of that. So they were both really, really good. Um, I would say Werfs was better. And, and, and the only reason I would say that is I think, you know, look, they, they won a playoff game in Green Bay without Antoine Winfield Jr. because they had some pretty good depth at that position. They had Andrew Adams. They had Mike Edwards. Those guys really stepped up and played well and played winning football. I'm not sure that they win those games if they have to play somebody else at right tackle, you know. Um, Joe Haig or, or, you know, Wells or somebody like that, I'm not sure they have that success. And, and when, you, when you think about how important it was to keep Tom Brady clean, um, to protect him the way Worse was able to do it, uh, that made the whole offense go. So I'm going to say that of the two, and it's really close, that, that Tristan Worse was, was more impressive to me, even though they both, like I said, could have both easily been pro bowlers. You mentioned Tristan Worse could wear a gold jacket one day. Joe had asked, who out of this current Bucks team gets in the Hall of Fame within 15 years of retirement? Now, he's not including Brady, Gronk, McCoy, or others because they get in with the success from previous teams. Yeah, and I guess you could throw Sue in that mix since he played someplace else too, and I think mm-hmm. Indomitian will get, will get consideration. So if you're talking about – Or would a JPP? Yeah, JPP will too, no doubt. He's won a couple of Super Bowls. He's 8-0 in the playoffs. I don't know how long he's going to play, but he's certainly going to have great numbers, sack numbers to – go with the longevity of his career so he will definitely get consideration um hard though hard for those guys you know the thing about the hall of fame is they look for things like player of the decade we we were you know are you in the all decade team you know for whenever you played and that was something that hurt john lynch because he his best years were between 95 and 05 it wasn't really in the 90s or 2000s um kind of in the middle there so that that can hurt you pro bowls matter they're not the end all um, so some of those guys are going to get hurt by that. Of the homegrown guys, I would say right now we're talking primarily about people like Mike Evans. Some will say Levante David. Um, some of the newer guys, like I just mentioned, Tristan Wirfs. I think he he's on. He's had one year, so you know who am I to say he's on the path of his gold jacket? But man, he looks like that kind of player. And Devin White. And let's just tackle Evans because. Evans is, you know, probably closer to the end of his career than the beginning. I mean, he's played seven seasons. When you do things that no one in football has done, one of the things because I was a voter in that room one year as an at-large guy, one of the things that really opens voters' eyes is, hey, does this guy have, uh, you know, a, a place in history? Like, where where does he rank among other receivers that are in the Hall of Fame? Is there something he's done that no one in the league has done before? Yes, Mike Evans. Yes. He started his career with, so far, seven straight 1,000-yard seasons. You say, well, 1,000 yards in a passing league isn't, that, isn't what it used to be. That's absolutely true, undeniably true. The league has changed. The rules are different. It's easier to get 1,000 yards. However, um, nobody has done it, okay? Randy Moss did it the first six years. Randy Moss did it his first six years. I mean, think about that. So now you put yourself in, in, a, in a place above the rest of the receivers in history for your consistency, for your productivity. And, and I realize, you know, like, you know, one of those last season, he had barely over 1,000. But nonetheless, big touchdown guy, big red zone guy. He's been to a few Pro Bowls, which is going to help him. He'll probably need to go to a couple more. I don't think he's going to make an all-decade team. I think there's, there's going to be a debate about guys. You know, he played in a division with Julio Jones. Um, Michael Thomas, you know, there's some good guys just in this division, much less the NFC. So that that may not be an easy one. But we don't know how long Mike's going to play. I mean, what if Mike 
continues to put up thousand yard seasons for the next two three years. Um, that's certainly and it, and then the other thing that helps every player we talk about and, it's, and this is also something that comes up: winning a Super Bowl. You know, to be on a Super Bowl winning team, you have to have spectacular players or two or three or four. And we know the ones like Gronk and Brady that were part of this Super Bowl team. But what about Mike Evans? You know, what about Levante David? And Levante David has been overlooked because he played on such bad teams. It's not his fault that, you know, the quirk of the Pro Bowl voting system listed guys like JPP as outside linebackers and also Levante David. And he was going up against guys who primarily were pass rushers and had sacks. And But if you look at Levante David's number, I will say this. If Luke Keekley, who many think, and I don't know that I disagree, is going to make the Hall of Fame, and Luke Keekley was an inside linebacker for, for the Carolina Panthers, you know, David's numbers are better. And, you know, and, and oh, by the way, Levante David won a Super Bowl on a, on a defense that dominated the Kansas City Chiefs. You look at the the fumbles, the forced fumbles, and um, the sacks and the interceptions. I mean, the tackles, all of that stuff. He's on a pace that if he played, he'd have to play a number of years. But if he did so and average what he's averaged for the next four or five years, he could he could reach Derek Brooks type longevity numbers. So I don't know that Levante is ever going to get that consideration because I think too much of his career was spent on losing teams, not making Pro Bowls. He's made one All Pro, uh, I think one Pro Bowl as well but his career's not over yet you know he's he's played nine seasons so I don't know how much longer he's got at this level so he'd be another one I would throw in there but I think it's gonna be really tough um, of the young guys we mentioned Worfs I like Devin White I, I think if Devin White who's only 22 years I mean think about that the guy's 22 years old and he's coming off his second season in which uh, he was a force you know, on that defense, and particularly in the postseason. He missed the first game against Washington with the COVID test. Quirk of the scheduling, they played on Saturday, not Sunday. He would have played. Um, but the big play I mentioned in New Orleans, just big plays all over the field. The game, you know, this is the other thing they asked for when you get in that room. Hey, what were the what were the, the, the highlight moments, right? What were those um, the, the franchise moments that that player provided? Well, how about a game-sealing interception in the end zone in the Super Bowl against Kansas City. That's Devin White. So you're starting to see, you know, even after two years, you know, these guys really uh, starting to to put together resumes in a short order. And so I think, you know, we'll have to, we'll have to go many, many years to figure it out. But of the ones that, that have started to compile the numbers, Mike Evans would seem to have the best argument right now. The segment of Sports Day Tampa Bay is brought to you by Breitling Boutique. You know, Breitling Boutique in International Plaza is one of only 15 in the United States, and they welcome championship quarterbacks, Hall of Famers, and boxers as clients. But they treat everyone the same. They'll treat you like a celebrity, too, when you come in. Tell them that Rick and Steve sent you, and you'll get a free Breitling cap just from trying on one of those beautiful Swiss watch pieces. Breitling Boutique in International Plaza. All right, Jonathan uh, sent us a question. He says, my main question is about Jason Light. Looking at the draft picks, I recognize many of the names from this year's Super Bowl team. But 2016 looks to be a complete bust. What happened? How did he and the Bucks improve so much, especially in the last couple of drafts? Now, to refresh your memory, Rick, the 2016 draft had Vernon Hargraves as the number one or the first round pick, of the, number 11, Noah Spence and Roberto Aguayo in the second round, Ryan Smith in the fourth, Caleb Beninock in the fifth, Devontae Bond and Danny Vitale in the sixth round. All right, of those, the, the, the ones that stick out to me, of course, are the, are the three. Um, Vernon Hargraves, which was their first pick. Noah Spence in the second round. And then Roberto Aguayo, which will forever be, uh, rightly or wrongly, part of, uh, you know, here's the great thing. It won't be the first line of the Wikipedia page now. It'll be no. Jason Light was a Hall of Fame. Or was, a, I'm sorry, not a Hall of Fame, was it maybe, was a Super Bowl uh you know, general manager of a Super Bowl team that won, uh, you know, in uh, in 2020. Uh, so he's out. He's outperformed that. The 2016 draft, and this is just as memory serves. I have to go back and look. It was a horrible draft for a lot of teams. It was not a great draft uh, for whatever reasons. I would say that since that time, the Bucks have sort of changed their philosophy in terms of of who they draft, 
what kind of people they look for and, you know, have a better, I don't know, feedback from coaches to make sure that guys fit their schemes. And what I mean by that is, you know, Vernon Hargraves was a smallish corner. He wasn't a big, long guy. Uh, if you look at the NFL now, there's so many receivers that are tall, that are long, like Mike Evans or Julio Jones, these kind of cats. And it's very difficult for the, the smaller defensive backs um, to handle them in man coverage. Hargraves was a kind of a man coverage guy that was asked to play a lot of zone. Uh, I didn't think he had great ball skills. Um, didn't think he was a very confident player. They they kind of made him try to play inside on certain downs and then go outside. I'm not sure you know that there was much around him, but regardless, since he left the Bucks, he hasn't done a whole hell of a lot either. Noah Spence was a tweener. Noah Spence was a guy that in some defenses would have been an outside linebacker. In others, he would have been a defensive end. He tried to do both. He tried to lose weight and be an outside linebacker. He tried to gain weight and be a defensive end. He simply wasn't very good. Um, you know, he was a high school phenom, got kicked out of Ohio State, uh, you know, and went to Eastern Kentucky. They felt like they were getting a steal. You know, they went for kind of a guy with reputation, some production, but not at the highest level in college. So I think they reached. I think they were hostage to a position. They wanted an edge rusher. And so they got the next best edge rusher that was still left on the board. And and they may have failed him as much as he failed them because he was getting a new defensive coordinator every year. Um, and then Aguayo, look, you're taking a huge risk when you draft a, a, a place kicker much less one that high. He was the most consistent place kicker in college football history, but he did not attempt or make many field goals over 40, 45 yards. And we all know what we all know what happened to him after one season um, with the Bucks. So, you know, when I talked to Jason Light and, 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 you know, he brought in John Spitek and, you know, Mike Beal and some of these guys that are in the front office now, they look for players that, first and foremost, have a makeup. And that makeup is that they don't just love being in the NFL. They love playing football. Um, they don't love what the NFL can bring them. They just love the game. And that they would play the game no matter what, any place, anywhere, any time. And I think I think they're just, you know, the, the makeup of the guy has been the biggest change. And then, you know, positionally, they're looking for guys – uh, like we've seen the Carlton Davises, the Jamal Deans, you know, guys that are longer as defensive backs, particularly the corners. Um, you know, they they still are looking to draft some some speed guys off the edge. But I think Anthony Nelson, who was a lower draft pick, has a chance to maybe become a pretty good player. Uh, you know, you look at their Mike linebacker. You I mean you look at Devin White? He was just an absolute you know beast and loves football. A guy that you know no, who loves football more than Devin White would play it anywhere, any surface, any time. So I just think that they have figured it out, and I think there's good synergy between them and and the the, the coordinators and the head coach as to what player fits their scheme. You know, what player does Todd Bowles want? You know, um, what player does Byron Leftwich need? And and I I just think they've done a better job, and I also think. Again, I have to look at the whole draft, but I think 2016 was a year with a lot of flops in the first round, if I don't recall, if I recall correctly. This segment of Sports Day Tampa Bay is brought to you by Murata, where life is like a staycation every day. Contact them at MuradaStayK.com. All right, Tommy asks, and actually we've got several questions on this. Jason sent one in like this, too. With the salary cap being lower in the NFL next season, although at this point, uh, if you read Peter King's columns, the new TV deals could kick in pretty quick. But how does that hurt the Bucks, especially if they need to sign free agents? For example, Levante David, Chris Godwin, Shaq Barrett, etc. And Jason followed up, what are the realistic expectations when it comes back to bringing back players next year regarding the salary cap? Well, the cap's the thing. We don't know what it is yet, but they're speculating $100, $185 million, which is better than what I think going into a year where you didn't know if you were going to have any fans in the, in, in the stadiums. Uh, we thought it was going to be much lower than that. So... Um, I have not looked at the Bucks' latest cap numbers. I want to say they're $30 million under. I could be way off from that. I'm not really sure. They have a lot of free agents, and so that's why um, if they have any money to spend at all, that's why, because a bunch of them are falling off. So 
realistic. Here's the best way to look at the cap. Um, eventually, when you use a credit card, you can buy a lot of things on credit, you know, and you can pay the minimum payment, which is just the interest on whatever that credit card is. You won't affect the principal. You won't be paying down anything. But you can say, hey, I bought something for a thousand bucks, and it only cost me, you know, fifty dollars a month, right? Which is nothing because I got something for a thousand dollars, and I'm paying fifty. Well, you, you know, eventually, you're just going to keep paying money and not really knocking down that principal. So the bill's going to come due. That's the best way to look at the salary cap. Um, the way that Mike Greenberg has done it, and he's done a great job of structuring deals where, you know, after if it's a whatever the deal is, let's say it's a three or four year deal, after about two years, all the guaranteed money is usually gone. So they can walk away from that contract after a year or two, usually, a lot of times. Um, and so they they have done a good job of not kicking the can down the road like New Orleans has, like some other franchises that – when a player leaves like Drew Brees, it's going to cost them money on their salary cap, even though he's retired, you know, it may cost them 20, $30 million on their cap because and it's hard. It's hard to really explain here in this space, but basically you're, you're pushing money down the road. Um, sometimes when you do these deals that, um, you know, that these players get, uh, especially in free agency. So it's an accounting system. It's an accounting thing that it's, it's a, um, there are ways to circumvent the system. For example, Mike Evans has done this several times where say he has a $14 million salary. Um, they may say, you know what, Mike, we're going to restructure your contract. We're going to give you $8 million as a bonus today of your $14 million salary. So now your cap number, okay, for 2021 is $6 million, not fourteen. So I've just added $8 million I can spend on free agents, right? But the problem is that bonus that I just gave you of $8 million, that has to be on your cap figure now for the remaining years of, of your contract. So, you know, I have to pay that. It's going to be on next year's cap. It's going to be on the cap after that, you know. So I'm adding money to my future salary cap. And teams will do that when they think they have that window of winning a, a Super Bowl. I think the Bucks are in that window. I think the Bucks have – would be wise with Tom Brady at 40 going to be 44 years old to go ahead and say, you know what? We're going to do as much as we can to keep this band together, you know? And we know that there's going to come a time when we're going to have to pay for it. If you look at it this way, the Bucks had to pay for their Super Bowl right away when they won it no two. And why? Well, because what they bought was a head coach. And they gave up two ones, two number twos, and $8 million. Well, they went, you know, so many years without top draft picks that rather than money, it was a talent void. You know, they didn't have – they weren't picking the best players. They were getting guys not in the first round but in the second or not in the first or second but in the third. That was their first pick sometimes. And so eventually as the the guys like Derek Brooks and, you know, Warren Sapp and all these guys moved on, they didn't have the draft picks – of the same pedigree to replace them. And so that was how that that sort of unraveled the franchise after winning a Super Bowl. This year will be more about, you know, how much do we want to mortgage our future from a salary cap standpoint um, to retain as many of these guys as we can. And I would say quite a bit. Uh, the other thing to remember about the salary cap is if it's $185 million this year, they're going to do a new 10-year TV deal, which could raise it. Um, if in, if that comes out in the next month before we get to the new league year on March 17th, if they have a new TV contract, which is the goal, then the revenues go up from that new deal. You divide you know all those revenues by 32 teams, and the players get about 48, I want to say about 48% or so, almost 50-50 split with the owner, so player costs go up accordingly. So you know it may not be as bad as what we're anticipating right now, it could actually go higher, and I think the Bucks. I think they're going to surprise people with the way Mike Greenberg is going to be able to structure some of these deals. I'm not saying they're going to get them all back, um, but they'll get the, the bulk of the ones that uh, that they think they need, and I think you'll be surprised at how they're able to manipulate the cap 
um, you know, redo some contracts. You know, Tom Brady may add a year. Uh, and, and he's not – if you think about Tom Brady, Tom Brady could ask for $45 million a year or whatever, you know, the top quarterback is getting paid. I mean, he's got seven rings. I don't care how old he is. But he's always taken less. And you say, well, he makes it off the field. That's true. But he could demand to be the highest-paid quarterback if he wanted to be. Um, the fact is he takes $25 million and leaves money on the table for them to get players around him to help him win those Super Bowls. So they may add a year to Tom's contract so he can play till he's 45, and maybe they pay him a bonus you know, forward uh, and spread out that money over the next two years. So a lot of ways to manipulate it. I wouldn't get too crazy about the cap just yet. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, it's going to affect every team. I don't think the Bucks are in a really bad position. The Saints are in a bad position. There's some teams that are in really bad cap shape if you're $40, 45000000 million over right now. Well, you must have read the questions because the next question was from John, who said, due to the likely problem with the cap number working against them, do the Bucks and cap wizard Mike Greenberg finally have to start using signing bonuses to keep their free agents? They avoided it for well over a decade, but this might be the year to have problems. Yeah, it might be, and, and and we did kind of address that. I think whether it's signing bonus, roster bonus, things you can pay up front, um, you certainly may consider doing that. And that's more about restructuring, you know, contracts than it is actually, you know, signing guys. Like you know, it used to be you'd sign a rookie and they would get a big they get a big signing bonus. Now, uh, the rookie contracts are are not like that. They're, um, you know, there's some signing bonus, but they're mostly guaranteed salaries the first four years five years with an option if it's a first round pick but I could definitely see them taking uh what we call the paragraph five number if a guy has a base salary for example of you know 14 million dollars you could say hey here's eight million now you've got two years left on your contract we'll give you eight million now lower your cap number this year to six but then we're adding four million dollars to your salary cap number each of the next two years. So let's say he has a three-year deal and it's 14, 14, and 14. Well, we just we just paid him $8 million, so now we got to add $4 million to next year, 2022, $4 million to 2023. So now his paragraph five, if you will, goes, you know, goes up by $3 million those next two years. So he has a higher cap number down the road. So eventually it's going to catch up to you, but – a lot of ways you can do it, and that's uh, – I'm not sure the signing bonus is, is going to come into play um, as much as just some restructuring of some veteran deals right now. All right. Another John asked, while Bruce Arians has stated, and I'm sure the team wants Chris Godwin back, how much sense does it make to have two wide receivers occupying 20% of the salary cap with so many other priorities? Tyler Johnson looks like his replacement in waiting. Yeah, um, look, that's a great question, and it's something the Bucks have to wrestle with, right? But, you know, there is a disparity in age between, say, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. And here's what I would say about it is that there have been teams that have paid both receivers, um, you know, a lot of money. I mean, you, you can remember, um, who was it, uh, Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne, you know, for example, with uh, the Indianapolis Colts both made good money and why because Peyton Manning wanted them to be his receivers uh I think the same is true with Tom Brady again remember the window now you've got a 43 year old quarterback he's won seven he'd like to win eight uh who's going to tell him he can't so it's not it's not maybe the best investment on a football team as you're allocating because it is an allocation process and you're saying What's our budget for the quarterback position? What's our budget for the wide receiver position? What's our budget for the offensive line? Who, who else is going to come up soon? You know, you got Vita Vea is going to come up soon. O.J. Howard is in his fifth-year option. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of players, Carlton Davis. You know, there's guys down the road you're going to want to keep. And, and so can you afford to pay two receivers, you know, top money, which I'm guessing at this point if you're top five, uh, receiver money is probably in the 16 to 18 million dollar range I would say um, which is a lot and yet I think it makes sense to do in the short term and and listen I don't know if they're going to be able to get a long-term deal with Chris Godwin or not and I don't know how much longer Mike Evans is going to play at the level that he's playing and he's played seven years you know next year is year eight um, and so as you look down the road you say okay well Chris Godwin is you know, considerably younger than Mike Evans. Uh, 
So we still have some years left with Mike, but we have the potential of having Chris for the next four to five. You know, and the fact that they play different positions. I mean, Chris Godwin's a slot receiver, which is one of the most important positions on this offense because you affect the run game. You know, you have a physical blocker inside that can help in the run game and and get vertical and make the combat catches and traffic over the middle and all those things. So, you know, one thing you could do, and I don't know if it's going to go this way, if you can't get a cap-friendly deal to pay them both, um, then what I would say is that franchise tag might come in real handy for next year. Because if you could franchise Chris Godwin and he would get a one-year contract that would equal the top five at his position, uh, which would be a substantial bonus for him, much like it was for Shaq Barrett last year, got $15.8 million. Um, you have It accomplishes two things. It allows you to continue to negotiate with Godwin. Um, you still retain his rights until the next league year. And also, you get another year out of Evans, and you get to see how do the injuries impact Evans as he gets older. You know, he was beat up a lot last season. Um, Productivity-wise, he's still a monster in the red zone. He still put up a thousand yards. There's there's a lot of footballs to spread around, so maybe he's not going to get as many yards. But you know what is the toll on his body of year number eight in the NFL? And and I think if I if it were me, and I couldn't get a good you know market deal. Now I think the priorities are going to be getting Shaq locked up, and that's that's a whole different conversation we could have for a half hour. But if I just had a tag and, and I and I knew I could get one of these guys done from a long term standpoint, I would rather lock up Shaq, right, uh, for the next three years, and then apply the franchise tag to Godwin, and then see if I'm going to continue on with these two top receivers, you know, beyond this year. Because, you know, what if Tyler Johnson does emerge? What if Tyler Johnson can play Mike Evans' role? Well, we could use a year to find that out, and. I think it just buys you time. It makes sense. So I don't know how these deals are going to come down, but I, I do think the answer to the question is, yes, you can pay 20% of your salary cap, but it's going to, you're going to feel it someplace else. Now, fortunately, they still have a lot of guys in the secondary that are under their rookie contracts. Okay, That's a big break for them. Um, but like I said, Vita Vey is going to come up soon. Uh, O.J. Howard is in his fifth-year option. You know, There's going to be players on this team, Ronald Jones, will be a free agent after next year. Um, so, you know, there's guys you're going to have to deal with. So in the short term, I would find a way to do it. I'm not sure it's sustainable in the long term because I do think they do have a lot of confidence in Tyler Johnson. And if he can, can become the number two receiver, Chris Godwin's the number one. He's the number one in any team in this league. And there are so many teams that want him that he would make top dollar. And so, you know, you're going to have to pay him if you want to keep him, but – you might be able to keep them both at least for a year and see if you can't run it back and win another Super Bowl. Les says, Rick, I'm setting the over-under for Bucks wins in 2021 at 11.5. Which way are you going? Also, as a comment, can you please pick against the Bucks every game next year? Seem to work out well in the playoffs. <laughs> I love it that people get that. I'm such a bad picker. I didn't want to mess with the mojo. They would have blamed me. Um, I just want you to know I did pick them to beat the Redskins. So there was that. Uh Eleven and a half. Okay. Well, let's look at this year. They won eleven in the regular season. Um, they did it with no off season. They did it with no preseason games. They did it with Brady knowing nobody but Gronkowski when the season started. The four guys that scored touchdowns weren't here when Brady signed in the Super Bowl. Um, I would say I would take the over, and and the reason is I don't think the NFC South is going to be very good. Uh, I. I Look, Atlanta's in a total transition. They have cap problems out the wazoo. They've got a, you know, they're going to come back with Matt Ryan, who's still capable quarterback, but they eventually got to move on. They probably will draft a quarterback first overall, I would imagine, in the first round. Um, you know, whoever that is. And so they, you know, they're going to have a new head coach, all that stuff. I I I think they're going to they're going to need a transition year, much like Carolina had last year. And Carolina even though they made strides, they're talking about maybe starting over at quarterback for themselves. They, they've been kicking the tires on quarterbacks, even though Teddy Bridgewater did okay. Um, you know, they're, they're store, sort of in flux. New Orleans, we know, is a great football team. I mean, they have a great football team all around. If Breeze retires, it's going to have some cap implications. 
And then they got to decide who their quarterback is. Is it Taysom Hill? Is it is it Jameis Winston? Well, if it's Winston, do you think, you know, having sat the bench, not played for a year, that he's going to come in there with Sean Payton as one of the premier play callers in the league and all of a sudden catch fire? He could. He absolutely could. I would not would not be stunned by that at all. However, it's not a given. And we know Jameis could could turn the ball over, and, we, and, he, and he hasn't played uh, a lot of football in a year. So, you know, I, I don't know that the Saints are going to win their fifth straight NFC title. I mean, it seems to me that if you go through the NFC and win it and then win the Super Bowl, you should be the best team in your division next year. Um, if they're not, there's a problem, you know. So, uh, you know, I would say that the over – over 11 and a half. I see them winning 12 games, maybe 13 if they just catch fire. There's some tough, tough games in there. They play the AFC East, I believe, which will be interesting when they go to New England in Gillette Stadium. Can't wait for that one. But Miami's a tough team. Buffalo's a better football team, even though I think they get them at home. Um, you know, they're, they're, it's a, there's some good, and they'll be they'll be tougher teams because they won the Super Bowl. They'll play some first place teams. So no, they play uh, the second place teams because it's basically oh, the division finish. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. There, yeah, that's right. Yep. That's right. So yeah, so you know, um, but here's, the, here's the question: Are we playing 16 or 17 games? Because that depends. That affects 17. the over under too. Is 17. That, has it been determined yet? I thought it's not 100 percent certain. I thought they negotiated that last year. Did they not? They have the right to do it, but I don't know if the NFL has definitely decided that yet. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Because that well, affects that the over-under, too. So. But let's assume he's talking about a 16-game schedule because yep. I'm sure that's what he meant. Right. Um, if it's a 16-game schedule, I would take the over, yep. over 11 and a half. And I believe the 17th game, if they do play, it will be against the Colts for the Bucks. Mm-hmm. So that's a good oh, team that's there. That's a tough team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although, who's going to be their quarterback? Uh, Carson Wentz. Not Deshaun Watson? No, not Deshaun. Is he going to the Cowboys? Is Deshaun Watson going to the Cowboys? No, he plays for the Houston Texans. Yeah, well. But everyone thinks Dak Prescott's going to be the Cowboys quarterback. Okay. When he's ready, if he's ever ready. I'm not even sure Deshaun Watson's going to leave. I don't think Deshaun Watson's going anywhere. I don't think Houston's going to trade him, no. Listen, I know David Culley personally. <laughs> I had him. He was a coach with the Bucks. Tremendous personality, tremendous energy guy. I know he's, he's, he's like, what, 65 or something like that, which blew me away. But um, there's no way that I'm letting that guy walk out of that building and think that I'm going to find somebody who's better, um, no matter how many draft picks people give me. You know, I mean, they hit a home run. They got so fortunate. And it's unbelievable that, that Bill O'Brien and the ownership has screwed this up, you know, trading away the people they have and, and you know, um, not letting him have input on the head coach or the GM like they said they would. But you've got to find a way, man, to mend fences. Because in a league where the quarterback matters so significantly more than any other position um, – if you don't think I'm right, just look at the quarterbacks that have won Super Bowls over the last 10, 12 years. You'll recognize the names. One of them is Brady. Uh, then you're, you, you'll spend the next 20 years trying to find a guy that's as good as the one you have in the building. It makes no sense. He's also a great person, and I know, I know he wants out. I know he thinks this is a train wreck of an organization, and they've got some people there that I don't understand why they have the power they have. It, they, they need to straighten it out. The ownership needs to straighten it out. But there's no way, as a GM or a coach, and they have a first-year GM and a first-year coach, I don't want that on my resume. I'm not the guy that came in and traded Deshaun Watson, okay? I'm just not doing it. So everybody's going to have to come to the table and sing Kumbaya eventually. you know. And if he wants to sit out, he sits out. But he's going to find out. We're not trading you. We got to live together. We got to make this work. So let's start a dialogue because it's not going that way. The segment of Sports Day Tampa Bay is brought to you by Marina Bay St. Petersburg Luxury Waterfront Homes, where sports fans and enthusiasts live and play. Marina Bay is a 60 acre gated community on Bogosiega Bay. All new construction is available now. Contact them at marinabaystpete.com or call 727. 727- 906-3300. Joe asks, Rick, with the Bucks winning the Super Bowl this year and selling a ton of merchandise from it, 
Brady being the number one in jersey sales. Does it make up for the loss of revenue from not having a full stadium this past season? No, you know, it really doesn't um, because jersey sales and NFL merchandise and things like that is split uh, among the NFL and among its players. So even though Brady might have the top-selling jersey, it doesn't mean most of that money is staying in Tampa. What? Here's how you benefit, because I asked this question, here's how you benefit from winning a Super Bowl, okay? There's a couple ways. One is, what did, you, what did that just do for your brand, okay? When people say Buccaneers now, right, Tampa Bay Buccaneers now, what do they think of? World champions, Tom Brady, great players. I can name them now. Yeah, I know who they are. Uh, played, a state, played a Super Bowl in their home stadium. City's beautiful. All this stuff is a residual, right? So what does that mean? Well, <laughs> they had a whole bunch of semi-empty, empty, maybe not filled up Sky Suites. Now, they were going to sell them last year because Brady came. But guess what? The rent for that Sky Suite, yeah, it's going north. Oh, yeah, you want to advertise on our ribbon board next year or on our scoreboard? You want to be a sponsor of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? You want to be associated with our brand, our winning Super Bowl Tom Brady brand? That's going to cost you more money. So where they make money uh, by winning a Super Bowl is you've elevated the profile of your entire franchise. Now, you haven't maybe changed the economics of Tampa, which is a problem. If you don't have major industry in here, you're still, you're still, a, tourist, still a tourist industry. It's still affected by the pandemic and, you know, and everything else. But I would feel pretty good if I'm the one that's selling you know, ads, uh, looking for corporate sponsors, looking for people that want to be associated with. You want to be the official soft drink of the Buccaneers? Yeah, I do. You want to be the official beer of the Buccaneers, or you want me to? You want it to be Bud Light, Coors Light? Who do you want? Right. So that's the sort of way that they really benefit. And and I'm not. I don't have any news here. I'm not breaking any news. Okay. But my heart tells me that when those ticket renewals come out. There's going to be a slight increase on many of those tickets, <laughs> okay? Because we live in a capitalist society. It's supply and demand. And let's all pray that they can get more than fifteen or 16,000 socially distanced people. Let's hope that there's 65,000. But even if there is, I would expect to see an increase in your invoices because, you know what? The, to the victor goes the spoils, right? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. We'll end on this question. And this one comes from me, since we didn't talk about this last night. Does Tom Brady owe the daughter of the designer of the Lombardi Trophy an apology? <laughs> no. Um, I would say hell no. Okay, I said hell no. First of all, I mean, a couple things. One... What are the what's the what's the silversmith of the Stanley Cup? What are the heirs of the Stanley Cup inventors doing right about now? They must be distraught, you know, of the stuff that has been in that that chalice. Um, it's a trophy, and and for that matter, it was the design of the trophy, right, that somebody came up with or or sculpted or what have you. It's been reproduced a hundred times, and probably probably more than that because I know. You know, when when uh, dirty little secret, when teams win one of these Lombardi trophies, there is the Lombardi trophy, the the OG that's handed to the owner after the game, and then there's a whole bunch of replicas that people purchase. You know, maybe the head coach wants one in his house, maybe the quarterback wants one in his house. Okay, so yeah, this was this was the original. It wasn't a replica that that Brady was tossing over the river, but it wasn't like it went in the river. Or they did something obscene with it. They merely threw a trophy which has a football in the trophy to a, another player who then caught the football, and everything's okay. And it was Tom Brady on top of that. I just, 
I think sometimes we take ourselves a little seriously. I don't, I don't know that it was disrespectful. It wasn't the best judgment maybe that Brady would have had with the avocado tequila or whatever. But, you know, and, and again, my dad didn't invent anything. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm just naive, but disrespectful, wasn't able to sleep for a couple nights. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I hate to, to, to try to tell somebody else how they should feel about things, but I don't think they were disrespecting the trophy. They weren't making great choices. That look, that trophy got to ride on a horse around Raymond James. That's respect, right? Take that trophy on a little tour on a horse with, with Devin White. I mean, that trophy had a hell of a day. Was she disrespected I, I like, when Gronk dented the one from the Patriots a few years ago? Yeah. Now that that you could say, yeah, I didn't see the the story up there when when he was taking batting practice um, with one and dented it. So to me, that that would have been the time to come out and say, hey, wait a minute, you know. But eh, no, I'm not buying that one. It was a it was a it, tell you what got a lot of clicks on our website, but. I uh, I didn't see that. I wasn't emotionally attached to that one. I, I think that's a reach, but what do I know? All right, some great questions in our mailbag segment. Thanks for all of those that participated. You don't have to wait for a mailbag to submit those questions to us. You can do it anytime. Just reach us at SportsDayTB on Twitter. Reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Got a great week of uh, shows coming up for you. Of course, the pitchers and catchers are reporting soon. I'm sure we'll be talking some baseball. Tom Jones will join us uh, hopefully for a couple shows like he normally does. So keep it right here on Sports Day Tampa Bay. Thanks for listening. You guys have been great. I mean, all through the playoffs, the Super Bowl, um, the participation has been wonderful. The feedback, I've gotten so many people um, that have said, Steve, that they enjoy our podcast. We're grateful for each and every one of you for uh, whenever you watch uh, or, or listen, I should say, maybe one day we get to watch, but whenever you listen, um, you know, we, we really do appreciate it. And we, we thank you for the feedback, and you can give us feedback anytime. So for Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.